does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Indiana has some time off, actually, before they will be in Illinois coming up on the 27th. That's a 3 o'clock start on Saturday, coming off of their loss at Wisconsin. Don Fisher, the radio voice of Indiana, joins us now on the program. And Don, um, I guess I'll go right to the elephant in the room here. I I agreed with you, and I was watching the Indiana game, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Don, but I I think people misconstrued – when you had said about being embarrassed, I heard you say for them. And I think by that, it's just there's an expectation that at this level of basketball, there needs to be a greater discipline with your emotions over the course of the game. But your, your overall expansion, if you could. Well, quite simply this. Um, two, two situations like that in the last two weeks uh, it frustrated me. And it frustrated me because these players – have been told about this. They've been warned that you don't do these kinds of things. Um, Every player gets that indoctrination when they comes to school. And obviously it's happened twice. Now, granted, I didn't think the, after I got to see the replay, the small, the uh, slow motion replay of CJ's uh, situation, I didn't think that was as egregious as I thought it was in real time, but it still can't happen. And, so I, w- I was embarrassed, not not about the team, not about the play of the game, nothing about that at all. It was about the situation taking place for a second time, and I just felt like that needed to be said, but I didn't probably put it in quite the terms because everything was misconstrued, like I was blasting the team and all that kind of thing. That's not what I was doing. Don, did you, you know, after the fact, look, I think, Don Fisher is probably the pillar of the most respected member of the Indiana basketball program, quite frankly. I think the fan base would absolutely say that. Um, and I did not, and I apologize for it, get to hear the post game. I was listening to the game, but I didn't hear the post game. Um, did Mike Woodson say anything to you about it? Yeah, we talked We talked about the fact that it happened, and he says we can't have that kind of thing happening. He's, I mean, he was – and and he I, – I know he said something a little bit different in the post-game media press conference, but in our pro- post-game, he simply said, we can't have these kinds of things going on. They just it can't happen again, something like that. So I'm paraphrasing now. But, yeah, he, he was contrite in that sense as well. With that, Don, you know, one of the guys that, that – and I hate to pick on a, on a player. I mean, these are college players, I get it. But at the same time, it is a little bit different now with an IL and everything else. Um, I know he's been injured – but and we've talked about it. It's been a theme here. Is it time for Indiana to start getting different rotational backcourt players aside from Xavier Johnson? In other words, and I hate to say it this way and sound like I'm, I'm kicking a guy when he's down, but if it hasn't kind of jump started for Xavier Johnson at this point, is it going to? Well, I can't answer that question. I'm not the coach, and I can't make those decisions because he sees them in practice. He sees what he wants to see. Uh, and without question, uh, you know, it's up to him to make those decisions. That's not up to me for a broadcaster to make that kind of a statement. So 
I can't honestly, Jake, and I, I apologize for not being able to answer it, but I'm answering it truthfully. I, I don't know. That's, that's up to the coach. It's up to the coaching staff and their decisions as they make them come, going forth. Is there any update, Don, on, I guess, just the health status of Khalil Weir? My understanding is turned his ankle. I would assume that was in a practice because that kind of was a surprise, I think, that he was not available for Wisconsin. But do we know where things stand for that? I, I don't. Uh, I, you know, I know that he, he did. Uh, he obviously injured himself in a practice session. Uh, he had a boot on. Um, he, I think he was even on crutches at one point. I, I don't know if it was that significant. All I can tell you is they're trying to be as cautious with him as they can be, which is what the doctors always tell them to do in those situations. But I haven't heard any update. Don, there's a 9-0 run by Indiana. First five minutes of that second half to get them within, I think, seven. And then like two minutes later, the, the gun incident happens. When you look back at, at where things got squirrely and got away from them, where it's such a, a big loss on paper, do you point to that gun incident, or was it a larger just thing starting to pile on for them and Wisconsin being a pretty darn good ball club in their own right? Well, there's no question. Wisconsin's really good. Um, but, but there's no doubt that that started the downfall. And when, when somebody gets kicked out of a ball game, it's not just affecting that player. It affects your basketball team. Let's face it. That's just the facts. And to have it, again, have it, have, have, have it, happen, have it happen a second time in two weeks, uh, that is frustrating by beyond belief for the coaching staff, and for the rest of the team. And there's no doubt about it that it had a factor. Um, there's, you know, Indiana was able to score a bunch of points in the second half, and they hung with Wisconsin the rest of the way. In fact, outscored them by a point in the second half. But the damage was already done, and obviously that situation didn't help because Indiana was on a drive at that point, or at least they were playing better than they had earlier in the ball game. But as Mike Woodson said at the postgame show, you can't give up 91 points yeah. and expect to beat anybody. And, and offense was very good in that ball game. At least it was, it was more, more so than what we saw in the first half and certainly better than what we've seen the last couple of weeks. But you, you've got to play better than that, and you've got to play that through the ball game for 40 minutes. You just can't take that in one segment of the contest. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, nice enough to take some time with us. Don, you'd mentioned in one of Jake's earlier questions the conversations you had post game with Mike Woodson, and you obviously have addressed it. Expressed your frustration with a play of flagrant fouls becoming a consistent part of this team at this stretch of the season. Do you get the sense, based on those conversations and just the overall vibe around the program that this is something that's correctable that it can be further ingrained where I mean accidents happen right like you're not going to say if it's an accidental call that you know it's in the same vein but is it to a point where the message is clear this can't be a thing oh there's I don't think there's any doubt about that I know that that message has been transferred (laughs) so uh, without question it can't happen again there's just no doubt and this ball club, I think, knows that. I think the players now know it. Not that they didn't know it before, uh, but I, I, I would tell you that the proper actions or reactions to that situation have uh, definitely been addressed. Don, to be, you know, I, I was curious of this, and I want your perspective on it. Don Fisher is our, our guest, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, that took that comment from you. I, I, I'm not trying to be you, but I'm. But if it were me, 
I would have been almost yeah. surprised or incredulous at the the resonance that that had. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm seeing it like in headlines everywhere. What was your reaction to the reaction? Well, as you know, Jake, I am not on any social media, anywhere, any place, any time. Never will be. It's not my thing. I just don't. I don't like it. Uh, everybody's got uh, you know a comment or something that they can be said and. And there's not anything that anybody I, – I, look, from my perspective, and my frustration was with getting a second situation like that in two weeks. And it upset me. And it upset me on not, not just for myself. It upset – I think it upsets our program. I think it upsets the Hoosier Nation. I think it upsets the coaching staff. I think it upsets the rest of the players on the team. You don't want that to occur because then you get a reputation – uh, so from my perspective, that was, that was the frustration I had with it. I probably didn't express myself probably as, as, as well as I could at that point. But uh, obviously I said what I said. People took it to the way they wanted it to mean, but it had nothing to do with the coaching staff or the team at that point. It was simply that scenario taking place for a second time. And, Don, here's the thing. I, I grew up a huge Indiana basketball fan, right? And in that moment, I think you spoke for a lot of people. I, I mean, I'm not here to try to carry your water, but I don't think you, you should apologize for it because I think it was a raw emotion and a raw observation, and I think it's one that like 99.9% of people watching thought. I do kind of agree with you that after the fact, when I watched the replay of C.J. Gunn, I thought it probably should have been a – I mean, it looked like he was provoked a little bit, and it wasn't – it was almost like a get-me-space kind of movement from him. But, you, but still – there has to be a maturity level that comes into play there, and I thought that the emotion of the observation was totally fair and accurate. Um, yeah, well, I, I appreciate that, but but the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, we all, you know, when something like that happens, uh, you've got to handle yourself with a little bit more esprit de corps, so to speak, and and with the proper explanation. I don't think that I probably said it in the proper fashion, but it, at the same time, it, it is what I felt. In terms of a positive, Don, to not be completely negative about what happened, although it's obviously frustrating with Wisconsin, I want to end with this. Uh, I continue to be impressed by just the overall game-to-game approach and I'll say professionalism, even though I know it's technically an amateur sport, of Malik Renew. I, I just think that this guy, um, with pieces around him that it sometimes maybe falls short of what he would, would need from a supporting cast, he seems to me to be a guy that just brings the lunch pail every single day. But you see it more than I do. Is that a fair assessment? No, it is. There's no question. I've said this to you, and I've said it to anybody that wanted to listen or ask me a question about this, that I think Malik is without question the most improved player in this basketball team. And I would argue that right now he's probably the best player in this basketball team. He is playing so well. He scores 28 in that Wisconsin ball game. He just busted his tail the entire time. Um, he's starting to get fewer fouls, as, as was evidenced in that ball game. Uh, he's just a great kid. He's just a great young man, a really good basketball player. And I know he's as frustrated as anybody that Indiana's in this losing curve here the last couple of ball games that they've had playing like they have. And uh, he's trying to do his part, and there's no doubt that he's doing that. Is there any player, Don, in conclusion here that – and I don't mean this as a, as a negative per se – but is there a guy on this particular roster that is having 
to is being put maybe out of position of where their actual strength is, and so therefore the their level of play is not totally indicative of what they might be able to bring to the table because they're having to fill a void or play a, a spot or a position that isn't normally what they should be doing within the structure of the team. If, I, I can't. And I can answer that. I'm not the coach. Uh, I think they're what they're doing with the with the players on their ball club is what they think their strengths and their weaknesses might be. And again, that, that's uh, all speculative. But I'd be I'm not a coach, Jake. I haven't been. Never have. <laughs> I'm not an ex of old guy, as you probably have heard me say before. Um, but from my standpoint, uh, I think they're doing the best they can with what they have. And unfortunately, right now, it hasn't been enough in the last two ball games. And hopefully, that this eight days that they've got in between ball games, I think, is critical, especially under the circumstances and at this time of year. And it gives them a chance to regroup and maybe look in the mirror a little bit. And maybe that'll help. Well, I hope you get a chance to enjoy some of the eight days off, Don. Maybe get some golf <laughs> in if you can do that in like 20 degree weather. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, I'm not going to swing a club outdoors right now. It's gonna I was going to say, hey, 45 degrees in two days, Don. Come on, put yeah. on the sweatpants. Yeah, 45 isn't even good enough for me these days. These old bones won't take it. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, Indiana in action on Saturday at Illinois. That's, of course, the 27th, 3 o'clock tip, and Don Fisher will be on the call. You can hear it on our sister station, 93 WIBC. Don, I appreciate the candor, the explanation, and coming on and joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. All right, Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. One o'clock hour underway. Jake Query along with Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison here as well. It's Query and Company on 93.5107.5. The fan joining us now. From CBS, WTTV4, and WXIN59 is Mike Chappell. Um, Chappell, I'll get kind of like I did with Don. We'll get the elephant in the room, I guess, out of the way off the top. Uh, I had said earlier, so I'm just going to ask you to basically fill in blanks or correct where I may be wrong. Basically, what I just said, I don't know, 30 minutes ago or so, is that while this is a small town where word flies around and things, you know, the old the old phone drill takes place. Um, the word from the Indianapolis Colts, at least the latest, is that there would be no imminent update on the health status of Jim Irsay, and therefore that would be the one that, responsibly speaking, we go with. That pretty much consistent with what you would hear or say? That's that's what I know, and I know people think we should have more firm information. This is, uh, right now, it's a family issue, and they're keeping this as close to the vest as they can, and I'm sure th- you know, I've heard things, you've heard things, but until we hear from the team, no, this is this is where we are, and I, I'm not going to speculate any further. You know, Mike, um, and, and we'll get on to talking about the divisional playoffs, but I wanted to touch on this. You've covered the team for a very long time, um, and there does become, I mean, obviously there's football implications with Jim Mercer not being around the franchise or in a health situation. But I do think at the core, we should reemphasize for people and you can do it better than I, cause you know him much more personally, I, you know, than I do. But while Jim Mercer has had his challenges by his own admission and his own demons at the core, 
he is a very well-intended and I think philanthropic and selfless individual. Agree? Well, yeah, and people see the the main things, the cancer research at IU, the Rileys and, and the, the homeless and, and abuse and the kicking the stigma and, you know, the Ursa YMCA and all that. But how many times, and, and this is at a lower level, that he's at training camp throwing around $100 bills. And there was something, was it in Jacksonville on the road where he gave some some of the the, the uh, the, the maids' money that we're making up rooms and all this, and that's kind of who he is, and he's as genuine as it, as it can be. He just is, and part of that is driven by just who he is. Part of it's driven by, you know, the, the more that's given to you, the more you need to to give and pay it forward, and that's that's him. And, and yes, he's quirky and all this stuff, but at his heart, he. he that, that's who he is. We, I sat down with him going into August. This was the 40th year uh, of the franchise at Indy, and he was very open about things. And it was more it was more football and all this. But he said, "This is home." He said, "When they moved here, this was home." One of his daughters was born here. I think it was Carly. I, I get my daughters mixed up, and I apologize. One was born in. Dallas, one was born in Baltimore, and then, and he's got the grandkids, and he said, this is home. You know, his father's buried at Crown Hill, and he said, I've got plots there, and, you know, so, so this is home, and, and he said, when, and when you're at a home, you give back to the community. That's just what you do, and and I think some of, some of the, the, the areas that he's, he and his daughters have focused on are driven by the problems they've had in their family, not just him, but I mean, his dad was an alcoholic and, you know, and he, he dealt with that and learned from that. And, you know, and then he's got his own demons that he's dealt with, but that's who he is. And if people want to, you know, go down different roads about, about how he isn't that, then that's fine. And then go ahead if you want to, but, at his heart, he's a, he's a giving person, and he, he wants the best for the community and the people around him. Dean, Mike Chappell of Fox and 9 and CBS4 is our guest. Chap, looking at personnel aspects for the Colts, but this time on staff versus the rumor mill that is free agency, that we know is always mm-hmm. continuous, but we're actually getting into hiring season from a coach's standpoint. Uh, there was a couple reports that started, I think, from a local reporter in Philly, and then Mike Garofalo had picked it up that, if the Eagles offensive coordinator and Brian Johnson is let go or takes a job elsewhere, who will fill that void? Jim Bob Cooter's name has come up in those reports. Uh, whether or not, I guess, A, have you heard anything like that? And B, if you haven't, if that was to play out, would you see Jim Bob Cooter being a good fit in Philly if that was to happen? Well, I guess the first thing is the Colts would have to align the right. interview, right. correct? Right. I mean, yes. he's un- I would assume he's. Yes. these guys normally sign two-year deals. Right. Whether or not the Colts would hold a coach who and this is let's just say Jim Bob would be interested do you keep a coach from doing that I don't know I, there have been times that teams have not allowed the guys to take lateral moves and I guess you can get around lateral moves by making a guy a, an assistant head coach or whatever you can kind of get around it but maybe Jim Bob would I don't know I mean he's got a young intriguing quarterback here to, to, to deal with and, and see how far you can take, take him. I saw that 
and you know, I, I it's it's just speculation, and right. we're we're. In, I'm glad that for, I, I watch all this going on now, and I, I I'm not even remotely sorry that the Colts aren't going through this like we did last year because it just wears your butt down day after day after day of interviews. And yeah, they interviewed what was it thirty people? I mean, you know, they all interviewed so many people last year, so. If someone has an interest, I think that's internally you decide whether you want to let a guy make a move or not if he's on your staff under contract. Do you think Frank Reich would want to be an OC again somewhere? Good question. I, I Part of me thinks that Frank needs to step away for a year and just, just take a breath. He can certainly, you know, he has the opportunity with the way things have gone out contract-wise and financial wise I think he's I think he'll get back in it I think if he gets back in it will be as an OC I think he's really good he was in a really bad situation here that he was part of what was not you know he, he was part of why things went wrong here with the quarterbacks whether he was part of the problem in Carolina I've, <laughs> I I sort of think not I sort of think that they thrust someone upon him and said, make this work. And he said, okay, we'll see what we can do. I think, yes, I, I think he's, he comes back somewhere as a, as an OC. Cause I, I think he's that good in the right situation. You know, speaking of coaches that we're familiar with here in Indianapolis, Mike, Mike Chappell, our guest, um, do you think the seats warm at all for Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia? And is it, some, and I, who I like. I mean, I don't know him well, but when I've been around him, I like him a lot. I think people here like him. But is there an indictment on him also that that with coordinators going and he's kind of on his own there, that that's when things started to dip a little bit? Well, I would think, is he on a hot seat? Well, I mean, I would think that if they were going to fire him, they would have fired him. Uh, we're seeing things now that he's letting defensive coordinators go and and, and – uh, Matt Patricia, who's not under contracts, not supposed to come back. Well, if you're letting him have a hand in those decisions, then he must be having a hand in rebuilding his staff. I mean, again, I'm I'm not plugged into Philly, but everybody sort of panned him for the uh, elevating Matt Patricia uh, to, to play calling. Which whether that whether they would have been that bad with, with the DC or whatever, it didn't work. And it, it never, it never, it, it always looks like a panic move when you do that and it doesn't work. Now, when it works, you say it was a stroke of genius. When it doesn't work, you say that was stupid. But I, I just would think that that if they were going to clean house, they would have done it. They wouldn't. You, you, we wouldn't start getting these drip drabs of coaching firings or removals or whatever. So, you know, and, and again, you've got to decide. We, we've talked about this with teams and free agency. It's easy to fire people. It's it's easy to cut players and all this. Then, then you got to replace them. So you don't fire Nick Sirianni unless you think that Plan B is better. And again, that collapse was historic, considering Super Bowl last year and what was it, ten and one, and then they they look like one of the worst teams in the league. Well, that's on the head coach. It is. It's 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 his job somehow to, to stop the bleeding somehow. And boy, if they just could have found a way to, you know, bounce back in the first round of the playoffs and they didn't, they were as bad then as they were during their collapse. But you better be darn sure the guy you're bringing in is better. 
And there's a few people out there, obviously the Belichicks and the Harbaugh's and maybe and Brable. Brable's out there. This is as this is as good a free agency class of head coaches as I can remember. It really is. And you, I, I don't know what, what's the first domino to fall. Is it Belichick? Is it Harbaugh? I, maybe it's Harbaugh. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to go with a curveball here. You ready? Okay. I have nothing to base this on, Mike, at all. But I know that'll stun you to know that I'm just speaking from the hip here. Mike Vrabel to Seattle will be the first domino. Really? That's okay. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe. Uh, I've not heard much about Seattle and who who they've talked with. Uh, it seems like so much has been focused on how many times, like in Atlanta, how many times do you need to talk to Bill Belichick? I know. I mean, he, he has interviewed in Atlanta 17 times. I'd be right? insulted at this point if I was Belichick. Well, he's, but, but he's doing it for a reason. I mean, what do you what, what's he say? He said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy with six Super Bowls and, you know, I'm, I need 15 wins. And, oh, by the way, I kicked your ass when you beat, you were ahead of me 28 to 3. I don't know. What, what, what's a second interview? I, I don't know. I don't understand it. So, uh, he can pick where he wants to go, and would he go? Would he go to Atlanta, where they got some really, really good talent? And who the hell is their quarterback? Well, that's the thing is they've got good talent, but they're missing it at the at the best position, at the most important position, right? And we've seen what happens when he doesn't have a quarterback. You know, whether call, it's yeah. Cleveland or it, it's just so I I don't know, but and again, Vrabel, I, I you know what you're going to get if you get him. You're going to sort of get unless he changes his ways. You're going to get. The way we build a team is through the way they did it in Tennessee. Uh, so yeah, it's it's just really really interesting, and I I I don't know who the first domino is, but I I, I get the impression that once one falls, they'll all start falling because that's just the way it works. And I don't know which the first one is. Maybe it's Harbaugh, maybe it's Belichick. But why you have second interviews with Belichick and it doesn't include, and we have a press conference on Tuesday? I don't get it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Mike, do you get the impression, you know, Anthony Richardson seems like a pretty level-headed young guy and uh, certainly, you know, did all the right things, I think, this year in his rookie year, even though it was obviously then stunted by the injury. Does the play and the arrival of C.J. Stroud put pressure on Anthony Richardson? Oh, probably. I mean, only that <laughs> the pressure's there because he's got to be the guy for the Colts and for for Indy. He's got he's got to be that what Stroud has done, and maybe he would have been. I mean, we saw quite a bit of good stuff. Of course, it was only four games, and that blurs everything. But I, I've said from the start that. It, from, from what I saw, he gives you a lot of reason to believe that he is. And certainly with C.J. Stroud, one, staying on the field, except for was it two games of the concussion, and what he did, different players, obviously, but similar situations with the rookie coach and all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, yeah, there's pressure because of that, but but it, it, there, there was immense pressure anyway. He had... Richardson has to be the guy. He just does because if not, then you're looking at, gosh, four, five, six years uh, 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 of of trying to find the guy. And we saw how hard 
that is and, and how difficult it is to be competitive week after week when you don't have the guys. So the pressure was there more because of C.J. Shad, maybe, probably, yes, probably. Uh, and again, until I'm going to write about it sometime this week later, but it, it's all going to be about, you know, staying healthy. And I, I totally understand the concerns with the injuries. I can explain all of them, you know, to where I'm not really concerned, but until he plays 15, 16, 17 games, you have that concern. But I always go back to the same thing that we've talked about here. They knew who he was when they drafted him. Not, not that he, you know, I, that he's brittle. That's, that's BS. That's BS. They knew this is who he was. I watch games with Lamar Jackson and some of the stuff Josh Allen does, extending plays and getting loose for 30 yards. That, that's what this guy can do. And you pair him with a running back like they've got and, if they up and the offensive line played well. So I really like the future, but, but yeah, pressure, the pressure was there from the start. It just was, and probably increased just a notch because of what the guy did in Houston. Mike Chappell, or the Colts, the Dean for Fox and nine and CBS four chap. You tweeted about this last night and it was of course through you, like a lot of us reacting to the divisional round games. There's a couple different areas we can go with this conversation, but I'll start first with this. Do you think there'll ever be anything in the history of the NFL as you cover this sport that will allow you to ever forget the Colts' fake punt against the Patriots? Because you brought it up again last night when they run with DeMar Hamlin. The greatest with nine player in the, the history field. of the NFL. <laughs> well, I, I brought it up because I retweeted it. Right. I didn't, I, Kevin Clark I tweeted the picture. On, right, right. I don't have that on Get Save. I try to put that behind me. <laughs> but uh, whenever somebody brings up stupid punt things i'm thinking no this is you know whatever you got you're number two behind what they ran but i thought that was they said, well they had 10 guys on the field so what unless you had like six guys on defense what, what are you doing and then they get bailed out by the fumble touchback so yeah it it's amazing that it doesn't take a whole lot for somebody and i i kind of give these guys credit that they have these uh photos and videos at, at their fingertip that they can grab it so quick and get it on there because I laugh. But uh, it's one of those where you say, yeah, you've got a picture. I was there. <laughs> we, we watched it unfold. We tried to talk to these guys after the game. We tried to talk to Chuck to say, what the hell were you doing? And you tried to talk to Griff and Colt Anderson. But that's it, it's you know it was a moment when it's still a moment. You know, it's like it's like it hit me when uh, Buffalo converted fourth and three with that swing pass to the to the I think it was a receiver, yeah, out of the backfield. And I'm thinking, if the Colts complete that, I you know they still had to score a touchdown, but it just shows you execute. Look, chap, here's the reality. In this town, you had the Raymond Butler touchdown to beat Pittsburgh in year one. You got the Marlon Jackson interception. You know, you got the Kelvin Hayden interception to seal the Super Bowl. I, in the NFL, you've got the immaculate reception. You've got the yep. Bart Starr sneak. It's the greatest play in the history of the NFL. The the fake punt. Yep. I mean, it's the great. It is literally the greatest. Sixty years from now, some guy's going to be doing radio here in Indianapolis, and they're going to be like, "Do you, you know that? Have you ever seen that play they ran like sixty five years?" Chaps, do you have the authority? Do you have the authority to get that in Canton? 
It's not already there. Like, do you have that type be, of, of it power? It may be there, like in in, in that in that room in the back room where they put things that no one wants to talk <laughs> about, but everybody wants to see. <laughs> you know, Chep, I'll, I'll tell you what, and I've mentioned this on radio several times. I don't know if I've mentioned it with you. Have you ever seen the video in like I think it was like 1970 at the Minnesota Vikings game where some 10-year-old kid at halftime on some demonstration of a hot air balloon and the ropes broke and he tethered and flew right out of the stadium through over the lights? You ever seen that? <laughs> no. So, no, so was the, he okay, I assume? Okay, so well, he landed like 10 miles away in the Minnesota <laughs> River and some hunter found him and he was okay and then they took him back to the game and dried his stuff and he went home and got like a free Vikings pennant. And then, and then that same year... Minnesota hosted, I think, the NFC title game or one of them, and they decided to have some Viking fly around in a balloon, and that thing crashed into the to the upper deck of the stadium. And and it should be in the Hall of Fame. Like the video of those two incidents should be there with the video of Chris Collinsworth going, "What in the world?" It's the greatest moment in the history of the NFL. I mean, I'm just saying. Well, what was it the last year in in Baltimore Memorial Stadium where that Piper Cub, you know, crashed into the upper deck? Really, I don't. I don't remember oh, that. Yeah. You, you can you can you can Google that, and I think fortunately that the fact that they were you know they, they couldn't draw fans. At I was just going to say that that probably fueled why Bob Ursay wanted to leave, right? <laughs> yeah, but no, it's a picture of a. a remember how they used to say the comedy club on the south side? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. On, I know exactly what you're talking plane, about. And the plane into the into the the, the roof. Yeah, this Piper Cubs, it's, it crashed into the like the upper deck at the stadium. So yeah, but there's all those, and uh, it's it's you know I think things kind of then one one memory hits another one. I remember I actually saw it on TV back in when I was younger, with much younger, with when Mike Curtis leveled up. He 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 clotheslined a fan that tried to run and get the ball, but it was it's just it's just one thing after another after another and. You mentioned all the, the, the iconic photos of, of the Colts. I mean, Andrew Luck diving. Yeah, the Kansas City was, game. Yeah. Was it Donald Brown fumbled? It was it, I think it was. Uh, so it's just so many cool moments. But, God, it's, you just hate that, that the one that people default to so much is Colt Anderson oh, no. and Griffin. I don't hate it. I love it. It's the greatest play ever. I love it. It's fabulous. I. So it just tells you that it wasn't just a play. Again, when it's people find reasons to, to throw it up there, it's just it's amazing. <laughs> hey, um, Mike, I am in this postseason, I do think, and I know it's probably low-hanging fruit, but I think the Detroit story is great. And I think it's great because, number one, they've got a head coach that we all laughed at during his press conference because he made, you know, it, it was like, who is this guy? And then yep. they, you know, they, they have a quarterback that was basically a cast off that had every reason to say, "I ain't going to Detroit." And he goes there and sticks it out, and the team rallies, and and it's just a great story. But question is, is this the ceiling? Can they beat San Francisco? I've 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 not I've still haven't totally bought into Brock Purdy. I just I just haven't, and I think. And, and we'll see if Debo Samuel, Samuels plays, but then boy, Christian McCaffrey is a, is a, is a badass. But I, I, I think it'd be kind of cool to see. Aren't they one of the few teams that never make a Super Bowl? I believe Detroit. Yes. Yep. I think that'd be so cool, and, and and to see the way they've done it, 
uh, it, it's really it, you just, I've got nothing invested in them, no dog in the fight, but they are fun to watch. And, and Gerald Goff's playing with a massive chip on his shoulder. Uh, they're great. They're easy to pull for. You, you can pull for all these teams, but Detroit is really, you know, it's, it's and when you hear his post games, he, he, he's not just giving you words. He's giving you emotion and passion and how committed they are. And they, oh, by the way, they've got some, they've got some great players, you know, St. John, holy smokes in the rookie. They, they were panned for taking a, a rookie running back as high as they did. Yeah, and he made a huge play now. for them, yeah. So, yeah, it, it, easy to pull for. I'd love to see it. Now, whether, again, Frisco, I, I just it, – it always comes down to the quarterback, it seems like, and I – it's pretty bad when I trust – Jared Goff more than I do Brock Purdy. But Goff has played well, though, Mike, right? Like, I mean, I, I, you know, it's interesting because I had mentioned this last week. Jared Goff is a guy, grows up in California, plays collegiately at California, takes the Rams to the Super Bowl, and then in that Super Bowl looked totally befuddled. And it was right. like the, the, the curtain had been ripped back. But he looks like he's kind of refound himself in Detroit and I think has played really well. He, 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 He's sort of more of a reason that they are where they are than maybe Brock Purdy is. You know, again, is he a system guy, Purdy? I don't know. But golf is really playing well. That whole team is playing well. And I'm telling you, you watch Aiden Hutchinson, holy smokes. There were four or five plays where they didn't block him. And I'm thinking, what, do you, what, what, what defensive or offensive scheme do you have where you leave the, the, their best defensive player unblocked? But that's that's how you that's how you, you 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 build a team with those edge rushers. Yes, a running back. You know, yes, you need a, you need a quality running back, uh, and then the quarterback making plays and, and that receiver on the outside. So you like the way they've done it. You like their you like their they're not BSing you. They're just they're, they're giving you giving it to you from the heart. Uh, it's really hard not to pull for the Lions. It really is. Chap, I found your piece about the, or not your piece, but I found the piece about the plane crashing into yeah. the stadium. I'm going to send it to Jake after the break. Uh, it's comical, the picture itself. Last thing for me, though, has anything ever happened from a celebratory standpoint in your life that's made you go full Jason Kelsey? No. Well, no, I, I leave my shirt on. Okay. <laughs> was, that, was that cool? The only thing that would have been better would have been to have Taylor Swift take her top off and drink okay. a bird. Okay. There we go. There we go. <laughs> There we go. Now, now we're out there. <laughs> that's, that's him. And somebody said, you know, th- this is th- th- this is who he is. It's not like you know, right? Oh, Whaley gets in retirement. No, this is him. I mean, well, and then he picked he, up the the little girl. To, there was a fan, a little girl fan that he picked yep. up to go introduce to, to Taylor Swift. And you're yep. like, I guess he's the one that could do it because it's basically his de facto sister in law, right? Well, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't you like to be at somebody tweeted? Wouldn't you like to be at, if there's a wedding to have him give the give the, <laughs> the speech to, to the bride and groom? I mean, now that but that that's that's that sort of brings you back to Detroit. That's who these guys are. Now, I, I'm I'm I get overdone with with Jason Kel or with Travis Kelsey, but I think Jason's really really that guy. You'd love to go out and have a beer or not a beer, but like a six pack with authentic. on a Friday night, right? How hammered was he at the end of that game? I mean, unless he can really hold his beer, but amazing, amazing. I wonder if he puts his Coors Light on ice. You're the only person I, I've, I've I seen, Chap. I know. I, 
and I guess it makes sense, right? But like, I've never seen somebody get a glass of ice cubes and then pour the beer over it. Well, I, I drink less beer then. Then, then I, I, it, it makes me drink less beer, which is a good thing. So that's a smart move. Well, yeah, that's a veteran well, move. Yeah, at my at my you know memorial service, there will be you know a member at Robbins. We had like long donuts and with Pepsi's. Yeah, everybody's wearing sweatpants. Yeah, yeah. So at mine, I'll have glasses of you know ice and you got to pour your beer over it so beautiful and then, so that you know it's, you gotta have you gotta have something to live by all right chap we're gonna table this for our next conversation because we did it in our last conversation but people are still asking me reggie wayne dwight freeney are they gonna get in you're the guy that's got to make the case for him that takes place when 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 is it that you guys will meet for that well okay let's put it this way i really don't want to lie to you guys okay uh we have met and I, we have met, so I know how it's going down, and that's all I can say. Because if I say more, I'll lie to you, and I really don't want to lie to you. So the Does that vote, clear anything up at all? Well, so you make a presentation for them, correct? I yes, and you one of them yes, and you have already done that, right? Yes. And the, that's because you're the guy that that covered those two respective. Yeah, players. He, he, the way the way it is again. There's 15 modern era guys every year, and, and the. The selector from that market generally is the guy that that does it. Sometimes you have players that, like next year, Adam Vinatieri, I believe it's his first year, and I'm guessing myself and a guy from the New England market will share it. Uh, but that's how that's how it does it. We know the guy more. And so, and do all you that. know so, what the voting tallies are? I'll play the fifth. Yeah, no, no. Yes, I do. Okay, and so we will find that out when? NFL Honors, it's the February 8th, I believe it is. It's at Thursday before the Super Bowl. And there's going to be people excited here? There I'm going to plead the fifth. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it at that. I respect it. <laughs> well, I'll have to. The problem is you had too much ice in that beer, and I can't get the truth out of you. That's the problem. That was a smart move on your behalf. I'd, I'd need about as many beers as Jason Kelsey had last night before I could really open up to you. <laughs> All right, Chappell, we appreciate it. Later. All right, Mike Chappell joining us on the program. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Uh, joining us now in the program, Pacers back from a West Coast trip where they went, if I'm not mistaken, Scott Agnes and Fieldhouse Files, you correct me if I'm wrong, uh, two and four on the West Coast trip, technically, because one of those games on the trip was in Atlanta, which isn't out West, but uh, Atlanta and Sacramento, the two wins they got, I thought last night, frustrating down the stretch because multiple opportunities, but you're adding a new wrinkle to the roster. So let's begin with that, Scott Agnes do with Pascal Siakam now and just kind of getting a glimpse how long is it going to be before we get a real feel for the fact that okay they are now cohesive with it all yeah it's a difficult spot Jake good afternoon to you yeah I mean joining the team on a road trip and on top of that he had a full travel day the previous day and he's sitting in the MRI scans for several hours like it sounds easy, but that's an exhausting process and, and a lot to adapt to. So the trouble is for this team right now is while they're home for the next four games before or a week really early, they have four games to get right at, at it. And so there's not really an acclimation time. There's no real practice time that's obviously in sight. 
Um, so that hinders what they want to do and, and what any team really needs. So I think I'm cautiously optimistic about this week and him getting more comfortable, you know, having a little bit more of a walkthrough with the team before games. But truly, I'm really setting my sights on, on the next week where he'll have, you know, 10, 10 days under his belt. And hopefully by then, Tyrese is back into the full full time. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files covers the Pacers there. Nice enough to take some time with us. Scott, should it be a promising takeaway when you look at trades that happened, not like throughout time, but just when trades happen, there's a gelling period. I know you kind of highlight that there, but you can point to that Suns game and think, man, if you have Tyrese there late, maybe that's a different outcome. Maybe, maybe they're actually winning by a couple possessions versus just working so hard to try to get over the hump. When you look at these next couple weeks with that in mind, and it sounds like you're doing this, but should Pacers fans be bracing for the fact that all corners of this roster might take a brief step back before taking that step forward the trade was intended to make? Yeah, I would agree with that, Jimmy. Mostly because I think the immediate reaction probably from fans here is, all right, it's just on Pascal to adapt, right? He's the only one that has to change. Well, that's not exactly right here because he steps into the four. Well, that thrusts somebody out of the four starting position, which is Jalen Smith which then directly impacts his backup, which has been Obi Toppin. We see Jarris Walker, who's been out of the rotation. He's needed. He's thrown in, but he's playing this three last night. This has a direct impact on just about everybody out there, in addition to just kind of learning where he wants the ball and how he operates and how he operates in the mid-range and runs pick and rolls with Miles Turner. This is a, a full-sale change for this Pacers team that they all are going to adapt to. So, yeah, that's one big thing that I'm trying to emphasize. And more than that, though, what also makes it difficult is the caliber opponent right now. You'd really like an easier slate, but you come home and you get Denver, Philadelphia, and Phoenix, bam, 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 right there, which which is costly. And then the other thing uh, that's playing a, a key factor in all this is the Pacers aren't aren't healthy right now. And I'm not just talking about Tyrese. You can tell uh, Andrew Nemhard really has not been healthy all season long. It seems like it's one thing after another for that second-year guard who they desperately need right now, not just because Ty is out, but because he's one of their top premium defenders. And so in a game like last night or the night before where they have two or three opponents that are going off, you really need him and Aaron Neesmith, who missed three games on the road trip due to injury. You know that you need those two guys to be key contributors on both ends. And so that's an underlying factor here is that several other key rotational pieces aren't exactly at 100% right now. Scott, who's the Pacers' second-best point guard? I would go T.J. McConnell right now, Jake. What about you? I'd agree with that. You know, I, I think that there are limitations to an extent, but, you know, you For almost sure. hate saying that because the guy over, you know, I mean, but, you know, just size-wise probably. But, um, you know, it's interesting to me because he is a guy that I think at the beginning of the year there was the thought that, I think Derek Schultz actually said this best this year in a game where he said every year feels like the year that they're that they try to. I'm not saying the Pacers, but that just that we that we set aside T.J. McConnell and every year is the year that T.J. McConnell busts his way right back through the door, right? Absolutely, he he's a guy that's been counted out, and in doing so, I think he's in the back of everyone's mind. Um, whether that's fans, whether it's opposing teams, it's been what four years I think since. He moved on from Philly, and I still don't understand why the 76ers didn't even consider re-signing him. There were no contractual talks, Jake. He had no idea what he was in for in free agency. The Pacers called. I'll never forget his first day here where he's like, 
yeah, I wasn't given any promises. Uh, the second year of my deal is non-guaranteed. Uh, we'll see. And then at the first day at training camp practice, he was in a, a, a penny, a jersey, meaning he was on the third team. And so that's kind of how he's been thought of. Yet at the same time, we know beyond the intangibles, which are obvious, the energy, the, the spark off the bench, the T.J. McConnell inbound steal that he's good for one per game. There's just something about the way in which he gets this team humming with the second unit. And so part of why I should preface why I responded and responded so quickly is because what I have seen from Andrew Nimhart and how he has not been healthy, how that ailing back and the kidney stone and, and the bone bruise in his knee. Otherwise, he's, he probably has the most overall talent. The thing is, what I love about T.J. McConnell's impact is how he gets others involved, how it's never about him, and how he's really mastered that like eight-foot fadeaway jump shot. Um, all of this coming off a career year last season, and he's too good not to play. That's what it comes down to for me, Jake, is when I saw him get countless do-not-plays coaches' decision, that's where I thought it was a little too much. You have to find time for him on the court because he's just too impactful with that second unit. Speaking of playing, Rick Carlisle in the end, the back end of this trip, did start calling the number of Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard with more consistency than we had previously seen. Was that simply trying to get fresh legs elsewhere, or is he starting to see something, Scott, in those guys that we might see more of, and particularly Walker? I viewed it more so, Jake, as trying to find some combination that's working right now. And so in that second half, we saw Jarris knock down some shots. We saw defense desperately needed as Phoenix's big three, which hadn't played a ton together, were, were getting countless scores. I mean, they scored 91 of their 117 points. Like, <laughs> that's pretty incredible in this day and age. And so I thought that's why, in particular, Ben Shepard was out there because we saw the Blazers hunt Buddy Heald late in the game. And I, I don't understand all the negativity and hate for Buddy Heald. I guess perhaps that's kind of similar to what happened in Sacramento in the end. But from the small social media crowd that you hear from, like it, it's, it's stunning how much negativity right now there is surrounding Buddy and him starting and getting playing time. With these guys and trying to find a combination, I think one thing that did surprise me, Jake, late in that game, is T.J. McConnell played zero minutes in the fourth quarter and just three in the third quarter. They went with a different lineup, which featured Jairus at the three, uh, Obi at the four, Siakam at the five. I think I, I, while those two, the, those two rookies have stepped up their play to answer your question, I think it was more about trying to find something that worked and could fit against, against that Phoenix lineup that was successful. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files is our guest. Scott, I don't mean to segue it in this way, but since this were the – Chips are laid out. Buddy Heald mm-hmm. is an unrestricted free agent, as you well know. Obi Toppin is a restricted free agent. They have a player option with Jalen Smith. A couple other names you could look at as well. The trade deadline is two weeks from Thursday. Are they done? Or, like, I always get worried when players are on the last year of their deal, or maybe it's a restricted free agent player that would kind of break the bank long term to re sign like Obi, and I don't want to see them leave for nothing. Are they at a point where they feel that at all? And if they're not, just straightforward, do you think they are going to make any moves between now and February 8th? Yeah, it's the whole situation that Toronto just dealt with with Pascal, right? They knew they weren't going to re-sign him. That was a, a contentious relationship that was <laughs> due for a breakup. And so, instead of not getting anything like they didn't with, say, Fred Van Vliet in the past, 
they moved on from him. Now, for the Pacers, I think Obi Toppin seems like an obvious choice there just because you just acquired your starting four for the future. Now, Pascal can play the three. He can play the five. But I think he's pretty much slotted in that four spot. Toppin wants to experience free agency. That's a big reason why there weren't any substantial talks with him before the season on a contract extension with several, like several other members of his 2020 draft class uh, were part of. The Pacers did do that with Tyrese, so he's locked up. Ovi wanted to experience free agency and see what he could get out of it. So I do believe it could be a possibility for Ovi, and that would make a lot of sense if there is a potential deal out there to further upgrade because what I've said about this team still stands is that this front office has been at its best when making deals um, and through trades. And we know through this team's history that they aren't going to have probably a lot of success in, in true free agency and the draft is 50-50. Um, has not been successful in recent years. I don't count the last couple of years because I need to see three, four years before you really dra- uh, evaluate a draft class here. But I-, I think the Pacers are still out there. They're still surveying what they could potentially get there. And also in clarifying roster positions, like sending Jordan Wara made a ton of sense out because he was out of the rotation and he was at now one of their deepest spots, <laughs> which is ironic because they had zero four players uh, before drafting Jairus Walker. So uh, I think they're still playing ball out there. I could see Buddy re-signing, although it seemed like after what went down in the fall, it, you know, the Pacers aren't willing to get to a number that's $20 million or more that Buddy is really set on. So if that's the case, you do have to consider moving him if you're the Pacers and getting into, into deals that might be available. And that was one of the great positives of getting the Siakam deal done last week is that allowed – the front office three more weeks to consider other deals um, now with this new formed roster. Jalen Smith, does he have a, a future here in terms of an extension? I think so, Jake. Yeah, they really like him, his, his upside. And or will others outbid, I guess, is a better way of asking it. Yeah, I think I think the Pacers can could find a deal for him if they wanted, right? Um and I say that because they know exactly what he contributes. I don't think he has any extremely high value by any means. But I do know there's a, there is interest in him. For example, that was one of the players Toronto was trying to push for. And the Pacers pushed back and said, no, we're not giving you Jalen Smith. Toronto had been trying for, for Jalen Smith for several years now, um, for example. And same thing with Miles Turner. And so that's another reason that it informs kind of my decision, my thought here in that I think the Pacers and Rick Carlisle really like the development of Jalen. The thing is, the same is true with Isaiah Jackson, who's in the concussion protocol right now. Um, and so with Jalen, he has that option so he can opt out of that. Then then he could hit the free market a little bit here. Uh, but of the, among the players that you know Jimmy was asking about there, I think Jalen is the most likely of those trio to remain here in the future. Scott Agnes is our guest. Fieldhouse Files is his website. Scott, I saw a story, and I, it did not overly surprise me, um, that Paul George had made a comment that Tyrese Halliburton – you know, I saw a podcast that Paul George had done with Tyrese Halliburton and where mm-hmm. he talked about seeing what Indiana was able to do in terms of Halliburton generating a buzz around town during the in-season tournament made Paul George reminiscent of the glory years that he had when he was a pacer. And then the story comes out that he, you know, he had contemplated what it would be like to play here with Halliburton. He is the perfect fit for what Indiana needs, quite frankly, 
But just in that capacity, and I don't know, so that's why I'm asking you this. If if you are to re-sign Siakam, which hopefully they do, and you have the big contract of Halliburton, that would give them flexibility to what level? Or would that would it literally be they don't have room for any other big players? Yeah, you're absolutely right in saying that is the missing piece, and that would put them and thrust them finally into contender category. Right now I view them as a playoff team, certainly with Siakam, whereas before they were fringe and potentially win a series or so. I don't see anything real with Paul George, quite frankly. Why would he leave L.A.? That's his home. Uh, they've got a great situation there with the Clippers. He's, got, he's uh, paid by the richest owner in sports. So you, you, you're taken care of. On top of that, you're moving into a brand-new arena next year. Kawhi's already re-signed. Uh, they're competitive now after adding James Harden to the fold. For all those reasons, it doesn't add up to me. I think it's more just Paul reminiscing and having good thoughts about Indy and then also thinking about All-Stars where I, I'm, I'm expecting him to take part in that game. And, and seeing the Pacers celebrated. But in terms of financials, I haven't directly looked at it. But Tyrese is on a max contract uh, starting next year. Siakam presumably will sign what I expect to be a max contract. Nothing could be discussed, but you got to believe both sides are under the understanding of, hey, we'll make this work, which then makes things very difficult, especially in this market, to offer even someone like Paul or anyone else close to a max type deal. Like That would <laughs> really make it difficult. I mean, you're talking, I don't know, probably about – 110 million of your payroll off the top of my head based on three guys. Um, so that, that for that reason seems highly unlikely. And would he want to take a pay cut? I, I can't see him leaving, but you're right. That's, that's exactly what they would love to fill with that three guard spot, having a two way defender. He's Scott Agnes. You can follow him on Twitter at Scott Agnes, Pacers beat writer for Fieldhouse Files. You can check the work there as well at Fieldhouse Files. Scott, always good catching up. Looking forward to talking as the weeks unfold, counting down to the trade deadline and all-star weekend. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It was a big weekend in the National Football League, and if you're wondering how big, Jimmy can show the YouTube audience he's wearing Chiefs shoes. It's just Air Force Ones. You accused me of this the last time. It's having to be red and white. I don't know. But you only wear them after Chiefs games. I don't know what you're talking about. He's wearing a Chiefs polo, too. No idea what you're talking about. He doesn't have the ring on, though. That's the key here. He does not it's have not the Chiefs ring on. It's not a game day. Listen, Charles McDonald, we're going to get Charles to vote on this highly debated topic. Uh, he's writer for Yahoo, Charles McDonald, who covers the NFL. Charles, are you a married guy? No. Okay. Have you been married before? No, okay. I'm only 29. That'd be uh, crazy. So, okay, so here's the thing. Like, I, I am also, I mean, I have a longtime girlfriend. I've never been married. But Jimmy is a married guy. Yeah, and I want. Okay, so I need you to weigh in on this, Charles. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, who does the program with me here, is a huge Chiefs fan. And earlier this year, I noticed my eye caught on a Monday when the Chiefs were playing, that he was not wearing his wedding ring, but instead on his ring finger was wearing a Kansas City plastic Chiefs ring. It's not ring. plastic. It was, it was silicone. That's important. Silicone Chiefs ring. What's the right? difference? 
Between plastic or silicone. Now, so here's the thing, Charles. Um, and I was saying, now hang on. Like, if you want to wear a, a game day ring, that's fine, but you can't wear it in place of your wedding band. Your thoughts? Yeah, put on your pinky ring. You know? <laughs> Thank you. Like, Thank you. Yeah, put on your pinky. What are you doing, dude? Are you going to go try to date the Chiefs mascot? Like, <laughs> I mean, look, Casey Wolf does seem pretty appealing. I won't lie. I don't know if you've seen him up close, but. It was I sold mean, as no, a wedding I was, band. I was, no, I, I was at the, uh, the the Arctic game between the Dolphins, so I got a good look at him. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's what you want, though, man. <laughs> thank Depends you. how cold it is. Charles, thank you. I, I knew you were my spirit animal. Um, all right, let's begin with this. You mentioned the cold of Kansas City. I'm going to stick with my theme of the day, and that is the hot team of the Detroit Lions, because I love the story of the Lions, okay? Um but I'll I'll ask it this directly, like I asked Mike Chapel. Does the road end here for Detroit? Oh man, this is definitely their toughest test, right? Uh, just in terms of the amount of firepower that uh, San Francisco San Francisco has, Kyle Shanahan, you know, uh, Brock Purdy is good enough usually to get the guys in position to make plays, uh, and sometimes he can even make his own plays. So, yeah, this is going to be a tough test. Like it's a, there's a lot more firepower than. Uh, than what the Buccaneers have. And I think that, like, if you go back and you watch some of those Rashad White runs and you replace that with Christian McCaffrey and the idea of what that could turn out to be, that's, uh, I think, a little bit scary for Lions fans. But on the flip side, like, they should be able to score on San Francisco as well. Like, this isn't the same uh, vaunted defense from when, like, D'Amico Ryans was defensive coordinator uh, or even when Robert Saleh was. They're a little bit weaker against the run even though they're still pretty good against the pass so you know that that kind of plays into what Detroit does well I I think in a way that this could be a shootout but uh this is a this is a tough test for for the Lions for sure and I think it's going to be uh you know one of those games where we signed out all right Aaron Glenn how good are you at your job because you're coming to a situation where you're a little bit outmatched uh the Packers defense did a good enough job to slow them down last week but can you actually finish the job and, you know, kind of not get trampled by the running game? Charles McDonald is our guest, covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. Charles, in the hours that have passed since Chiefs-Bills, have you unearthed or determined what Bills fans did to upset the football gods or any other higher powers that may be in terms of yet another chapter of just heartbreak into their fan base and Aside from that commentary, where do they go from here with what the cap number happens with Allen and Von Miller and, and other just big number contracts that are on their books with a window that you're going to need to revamp and, and reevaluate now? Well, look, I'm a Falcons fan, so there's only so much pity I can feel for anybody <laughs> else because I'm still working through my own issues. Sure. But, uh, I mean, it, it's pretty bad luck, right? Because <laughs> even if you, if you go back to the 90s, Somehow you make it the four straight Super Bowls. You don't win any of them. Uh, you have, I think, w- what is undeniably like one of the three best quarterbacks in football. Someone who at this rate is definitely going to be a Hall of Famer with uh, the way they produce it and how good they're being. And Josh Allen. So you would hope that one of these days you could you could kind of get this monkey off your back and get past the Chiefs because the funny thing is they've owned the Chiefs like this iteration of the Chiefs in the regular season, but. Uh, when it gets down to it, they just can't get past them in the postseason. And, uh, look, I, I say this from experience. Like, Well, it, it's a little bit different because like when the Falcons kind of hit their big wall of 
uh, oh, we got to get rid of guys. We're going to be over the cap for a few years. Uh, or not over the cap, but dealing with some dead money hit for a few years. Uh, Matt Ryan was kind of at the end of his career. So at least you still have this uh, like gravitational force in Josh Allen, I would say, where you you can you can survive you know, some of the losses that you're going to have to take because, you know, a lot of people have noted they're about $40 million over the cap space for next year. So when you're all in on a season like this, <laughs> it, it definitely stings to, to not even make it to an AFC title game, you know, to kind of end up where you've, you've been stuck. You can't get past the division round. You lose again at the hands of uh, Patrick Mahomes for the third time in the playoffs, which is, you know, that, that, almost makes it a rivalry, rivalry within itself. So you can't, you're going to have to figure out, okay, we have to get under the cap and be able to add some guys. So you're probably going to lose someone like Von Miller, who, I, don't, I mean, if we can be real, at this point, it's probably not a loss due to some on and off the field uh, issues. It's not like he'd ever really regained the form that uh, he was prior to his ACL injury. So, you know, maybe you don't really miss losing him, but like if you have to move on from Stefan Diggs, I know that, they kind of struggled to get him going again in the, the back half of the season once Joe Brady took over, but that's still a pretty big loss. And Gabe Davis is also a free agent too. So, you know, I, I think there's a chance that the 2024 Bills on the field look a lot different than the version that we just saw. But like I said, you still got Josh Allen, so you still have a chance to like win the Super Bowl any year that he's there. But this is going to be a huge year for them in terms of reloading and rebuilding because, uh, like I said, Something's got to change, and they're over the cap anyway. So now is kind of the perfect time to kind of shake up the organization a little bit. Charles McDonald is our guest. Charles, one of the storylines of the postseason this year, even though obviously it has come to an end, was the emergence of C.J. Stroud and the way that he has played in Houston and lifting that franchise. Does Indianapolis have a guy, do you believe, can Anthony Richardson be that same kind of talent for the Colts, and does he now feel a pressure on him because of the fact that he is in a division that's got some pretty good young arms? Yeah, I, I think that he can be that. I, I don't think it, it looks like how C.J. Stroud does it with just – because, you know, C.J. Stroud is closer to uh, – not, not he's like full-on pocket passer, but he's kind of closer to like the previous generation in a way. But – uh, you know, even we saw on Saturday, if if they had someone less mobile back there, I think the Ravens could have gotten like five or six or seven sacks. So, um, like his his mobility is definitely a plus. But you know, it's not what Anthony Richardson brings, where you're you can kind of base like a run game around how good your quarterback is with the ball in his hands. Uh, and obviously, we know the talent he has on the other side. I, I I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that Anthony Richardson has a whole lot of pressure on him right now immediately because. Well, he's only played how many games? Like four or five games before um, things kind of before he, before he got hurt and had to miss the rest of the season with his shoulder. So I don't know. Anytime you're dealing with that level of like inexperience, I think you have to give some grace and some leeway in terms of what can happen on the development path. But what she saw to get started was uh, was pretty good because I think anytime you're looking at a guy who can be uh, a positive force in terms of generating value on the field, play by play, but without even like the the great proficiency as a thrower, that's a, a good place to start from because you're still moving the ball with him, and that means there's a lot of room to get better as far as just kind of developing him as a passer. And I think even with that, it, it, he, he still is not as far away as people want to make it seem. He's got, got the arm. I think he understands how the game is played pretty well. He's just got to work on the accuracy a little bit. And then uh, you have one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the league, which is going to be 
pretty important because, like you said, C.J. Stroud's there. Uh, I think we all know how talented Trevor Lawrence is, and if, if the Jaguars can put that together, we know that that can be a force. So you don't want to you don't want to you know lollygag too much, but at the same time, he needs some time to actually get his feet wet and be an NFL player for a season. I'm guessing you did not have a Gardner Minshew question on your bingo card when the week began, which would have been earlier today. No, but I, um, I did not. But you know, look, Gardner Minshew. I, I have always said, Charles, backup quarterbacks are like donut tires. They're great if you need them to get you a couple exits. If you're expecting to go all the way on your vacation destination with one, you're probably in trouble. I thought he played well for Indianapolis this year, um, but you know where the limitations are. But he's a good backup. Will they be able to retain him in that role, or is there actually a team out there that will look at Gardner Minshew and offer him a contract to be their spot starter for a year or two? Uh, I mean, it's, it's always possible. And if you're Gardner, you know which situation you want to be in. You want to play. You don't want to be sitting behind Anthony Richardson. So, uh, I mean, look, I think if you start looking out at the landscape and especially if you think it from the, from the, the viewpoint of like, all right, well, what, what teams could be trading up for a quarterback in the draft or what teams could possibly be in the market for one? Uh, there's a lot of teams this year who could, who, who will probably be looking to upgrade their quarterback situation in some way. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Gardner Minshew ends up starting somewhere else. It's not like, yeah, if you if you're a team where your goal for 2024 is kind of uh, let's start looking like a professional football team again, I don't think that Gardner Minshew is necessarily a bad choice for that. But but like you said, there's it, it's only going to take you so far. And I think the best way the best way to to have a Gardner Minshew on your team is what the Colts did this year. You know, you you pair him with a pretty talented young rookie. And if that guy gets hurt, then you can still play competitive football for the rest of the season because Minshew's not like a total scrub. But at the same time, it's it's not going to be a situation where you're going to go on a Super Bowl run. You just, you know, if things go right for you, you can hit 10 games and then uh, maybe you can get to the wild card. But that's not really the goal for, for most organizations that are – are that are somewhat relevant, I would say. So, you know, it, it, it's a good spot for Gardner because a lot of teams need quarterbacks, but, you know, you're not going to find yourself in a spot where you're committing to him long term. So I, I would be a little surprised if he just if he, if he ends up with the, the Colts on the, as a backup just because I think he, he should have a market. But if he doesn't, like, to me, that seems like a no-brainer to try to get him back in the building. Charles McDonald covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports is our guest. Charles, there's been a number of solid to great defensive units in the NFL this year, and Kansas City has been right up there with them. They are able to show that yesterday against Josh Allen. Now it's the Ravens once again on the road in Baltimore this weekend. We know how good the Ravens' defense is, but from an offensive standpoint with Zay Flowers, with the potential return of Mark Andrews, how good the Ravens are from an offensive standpoint, how similar or different is a defensive game plan for Steve Spagnuolo and the Chiefs for Lamar Jackson compared to what they just faced with Josh Allen? Well, I think this is actually a good deal harder because uh, I I just think the Ravens are in a better spot with Todd Monken than the, the Bills ended up with Joe Brady. Like they have, they just have more answers than they did last year, especially when, uh, you know, what's his name? Greg Roman was the, the offensive coordinator and, the, then Tom Mocken comes in, and they split more to three wide receivers, 11 personnel, and kind of spread the field out, field out for Lamar Jackson instead of having it be uh, a congested space where he has to make things work uh, in, in a kind of more difficult manner. So I, I think that this is, this is a really, really tough matchup for 
uh, for any team, really. But one thing that, you know, if you're a Chiefs fan or, or you're the Chiefs defensive coordinator, Steve McMillan, and you're watching that Houston game from last week, you know, like for a half, there were there were blitzes to be had. You know, they, the Ravens didn't do a great job of picking up all of them, especially in the first half. I know they kind of got better as the game went along, but, like, the offensive line is not a super strength for uh, the Ravens. Really, it comes down to Todd Monken has figured out kind of how to get the most out of Lamar Jackson in, in certain manners, especially increasing production from the passing game. So uh, getting Mark Andrews would be back back would be a big thing because uh, then you have a, a two-tight end punch with Isaiah Likely, who's, I think, developed to be one of the more talented tight ends uh, in the NFL. And he's to me, he's a guy that could break out pretty big next year if Andrews is not there or if Andrews gets off to a slow start because he's still dealing with his injury. I mean, this is a it, – it's a – it's it's a it's a pretty difficult offense to stop. It all starts with Lamar to me, who is just like playing with so much more control than he has over the past few years. He's kind of got a mastery of this offense, and over the past like six weeks, it's kind of hard to find guys who have played uh, that much better than Lamar, especially when you factor in like the fifty-six point game against uh, the Dolphins the closest season. You had thirty-three point game against San Francisco where. Uh, he was pretty much flawless in that game too. I mean, he, the guy is just out of his mind right now. And and now when you you pair that like that level of talent with Gus Edwards, with the Zay Flyers, Odell Beckham, and Spurts, I mean, there's a lot of space for this Ravens uh, offense to attack. And that really starts with Lamar Jackson up front. So it, it, it's it's tough for anyone, but I think Steve Spagnuolo, if you're gonna if you're gonna have any defensive coordinator, the thought name Mike McDonald. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo is a good one because I think once you get into the postseason, it's good to have a few change-ups and fastballs with your blitzes, and I think that's kind of where the Browns faltered week one against the Texans because they run a pretty static defense and make their players go and get it, and that was good for most of the season, but once you get into a, a team that can scheme against you, that's where you can struggle. Switching over to the NFC, Jake mentioned the story of the Lions and how that's a rallying cry for a lot of people but specifically to Jared Goff, I know he's a number one overall pick, so I don't want to sell him short here, but is he a case study in, even in an instant gratification society, just because it doesn't work out in the first spot, doesn't mean you can't still be a a franchise caliber quarterback, or does he still need to take it a step further and this needs to end with them hoisting the Lombardi trophy for that to be a definitive statement? Um, Well, I I don't, I don't, I, I kind of struggle with the Jared Goff stuff because, I look at it and say, look, we've 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 been here before with him. We've we've seen this before with him. He's played in a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it, it, this isn't something that we haven't seen Jerichoff do before. I think for the Lions, like the the imperative, and really for any team, once you get to this point, is winning the Super Bowl. Obviously, because you're one game away, you're in the NFC title game. Um, I, I to me, I still see some concerning things with golf, especially when they're not running like their quick action play action stuff where he gets to turn his back to the defense where we know that that's where he's been at his best going all the way back to the Sean McVay years. Um, I think that's, that's going to be a, a an interesting test to see like if he can grow in his own game into being a more um, dynamic drop back passer than he's been at times. So like until, and and it's weird because the the bar for Jared Goff, I don't even know if it should be this high. But when you're playing on a team that has these aspirations, like he, like the Rams did, 
maybe you need a little bit more sometimes. To me, he's still kind of the same guy that he has been in the past, which is not a bad thing at all because Jared Goff had his best. So he can lead like a top five to ten offense through the playoffs and could get you within one game of the Super Bowl. It just, you know, the Rams found that at one point. Yeah, I, I think we need a little bit more, and they got it, and they got past that that hump and got to a Super Bowl victory. But uh, with the Lions, I think you're a little bit too early in that time span to figure that out right now. Uh, you know, they're going to extend Jared Goff as they should. They pass on opportunity to trade up for an Anthony Richardson to make that happen. So we'll we'll see uh, what happens this coming weekend because I think when you're at the level of uh, a Jared Goff where you're almost there, but not quite there. People can kind of take it as a game-by-game referendum and throw-by-throw referendum because they know they can feel how close they are, uh, especially with the other pieces on the team. So I, I think he's kind of in the same spot that he was with the Rams, and you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens on Sunday against San Francisco because uh, that Lions team is really, really close, obviously, to actually getting things done and, and winning the Super Bowl championship. Okay, Charles, lastly here, uh, from a football standpoint, I've got – the names of three coaches. Uh, I want you to tell me in your in your gut instinct what team these three coaches individually will be coaching next year. And you can certainly, in the case of the first one, say the coach that he the team that he coached last year, uh, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, uh, Chargers. I would agree. Yeah, I, I think he's second interview now for him there. Uh, Mike yeah, Rabel. I, I will say, uh, just last thing on, Mich- on Harbaugh, if he can get it into his contract that, hey, any any punishment, any you know, anything the NCAA finds out about this past scandal, I won't get fired. I would bet he goes back to Michigan. Okay, interesting. Uh, um, all right, Mike Vrabel. Uh, Mike Vrabel. Uh, that's tough. Uh, I'm gonna go with. Because mm, I will, I, uh, I, I was going to go Philly before, but they didn't end up firing anybody. Uh, I'll go Washington for Mike Vrabel. Okay, interesting. All right, um, Bill Belichick, Atlanta. You think that is going to happen? I mean, they're the only team that's in on him. So, so the other question then becomes, who's going to be the quarterback there? Uh, that that's I have no no idea because. The problem is they they won too many games to kind of trade up for quarterback. And I think that, you know, people are saying that you can just trade up for quarterback and go get your guy. But I think that kind of lacks the context of what's going on this year because the Bears have the first pick. They're almost guaranteed to use that on a quarterback with how Justin Fields kind of finished the season. Um, Washington at number two, they need a quarterback. And you may be able to just bring the hometown kid in with Caleb Williams. I think that that would be, you know, kind of a big boost in a lot of ways for their franchise. Three, the Patriots, they need a quarterback, too. So, you know, if you're going to trade up for one, it might be uh, pretty expensive. So I think the Falcons, they could find themselves, like, in the Justin Fields area, maybe Kirk Cousins, maybe Gardner Minshew if things go really wrong. But uh, I don't really know who's going to be the quarterback now. I just know that's what, to be what, what we know yeah. in Indianapolis is Gardner Minshew's your guy when things go really wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, when he, yeah, that, that, and that's, that's, that's what it has been for him the whole time, really. Charles, you're a younger guy. You're not married. We established that. Uh, but but looking at your photo, you look like a guy that would have a dog. Do you have a dog? I have two dogs, but they don't yeah. live with me. They live in my parents' house. Okay, so here's my question though: When you go to your parents' house and you see the dogs, please tell me this because you you know you're you're a bigger guy. You look like you could be a linebacker. You have a dog voice, right? Yeah. Yeah. See. 
I knew that because you're a sensible guy. Jake I can has tell. a test theory there with if you I have do. a dog voice I, or not. I'm, I'm convinced I, if you I don't mean, have a What's that? Look, they're dogs. They're dogs. Sometimes you got to talk to them different than you would a human. Of course. <laughs> of course. So you're not a sociopath. That's good. So you sided with me on the ring situation and you because you're a to sociopath. Clear, I'm not a, a sociopath. Voice. I'm also on the dog voice side. I want that okay. to be clarified. Well, okay. well, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Well, in, in terms of dog voice, do you mean like cute dog voice or like, hey, I'm a charged dog voice? No, like when you when you go Happy to your to parents' house, like g- give me the name of one of your dogs, Charles. Oh, like Rosie is one of them. Yeah, Rosie. So when you go to your parents' house, you haven't seen Rosie in a while. Rosie's jumping around all excited. You, you don't say like, hello, Rosie. It's nice to see you. You say like, you know, and Rosie's a good girl. You know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, exa- yeah. you're right. Exactly. Yeah. And Rosie would, would look, if you were Jimmy, Rosie would look and say, why are you wearing a Chiefs <laughs> ring on your wedding finger? Even Rosie exactly. knows. Uh, hey, yeah. Charles, appreciate the perspectives and the conversation, man. Always happy to have you on. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Charles, Charles McDonald, who sides with me on the ring situation. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.